Yo, 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 it's Abbas Wahab. Listen, whatever you're listening on, smash that follow, subscribe, plus button. Press it, you know, don't smash it. But the point is, let me give you updates about these episodes. You know you want them. Uh, There is an Immigrant Section Patreon now. I'm going to be putting up bonus content, uh, extra episodes, etc. It's just one tier. If you're a fan of what we've been trying to grow for a while, I'd super appreciate the support. And enough of all that. Uh, Enjoy this episode. Why he fighting fighting this? Why what 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 is his goal? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Yo yo, welcome back to the immigrant section. My guest today is a very special guest. Uh, I learned about her when I uh, interviewed Wed Brown. I don't know uh, if you. Watch that episode with Bentley Brown. Really cool guy. He was talking about a uh, Sudanese comedian, female in the UK. And I was like, what? And I, and I got the details right at the episode. I hit her up. Here she is. Everybody, please welcome. What's going on? Hello, hello, hello. Can you see me now, Ben? Yeah, I can, I've, I've just been trying to set it all up. I can see you. I can hear you. You're good. Welcome. Oh. To, but now it's switched. Okay, no, now you're good. Okay, we're good. Okay, cool. Okay, I've been doing a lot of these uh, these type of calls, obviously, because of COVID and everything. So I'm getting used to it a little bit. But I see you have a podcast uh, as well? I do with my darling husband called it's The called Cash de la Pod. The, ca- the Cash, sorry, say one more time. Cash de. Yeah. So his, his uh, rap name was Cash de. People call him Cash de. It's a Nubian word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, then- I looked at his account. <laughs> Oh, okay, cool. And then Lab comes from Labib. Okay. And Pod comes from Podcast. I'm putting the Cash it together. The Pod. Awesome. So you are, uh, we just, before we went live, I just, I literally meeting you for the first time. This is really cool. It's amazing how connected we all are. Like, I, I, this is the first time I've, I've podcasted anybody overseas. So, uh, welcome. Where are you based? To, I'm in Toronto, Canada. Oh, right. Okay, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's why I was asking about your time zone. Ah. Yeah, I literally had no like I idea. I knew you were somewhere different. Yeah, I knew yeah, yeah. you were somewhere different. I just wasn't quite sure where. When, I, when we first logged on to the call, her first things were, oh, you speak English? <laughs> I'm like, yes, what did you think? Like, <laughs> I'm DMing you in English and everything. Yeah, but I know you don't know what the hell to expect. This could be like, we're going to talk about Umdurman this whole episode. <laughs> Are we actually? No, no, I don't. I'm ready I'll, for it. Yeah, yeah. Umdurman is like the other side of the bridge in like Khartoum. And that's all I know. And I think Ulan knows a lot more. So we're good. I literally was just thinking of an example. But we're going to come back to Umdurman though. So you were born in the UK, right? Can you actually just I, give me like a really quick overview of kind of just so I get the basis of how you got into comedy. Uh, and then we'll take it from there, you know? Okay, so uh, I love comedy, always wanted to do comedy, Um, but as you probably know, as a Sudanese Muslim girl with Sudanese very strict parents, we are limited to three Mm -hmm. degrees. How about you tell me what they are? Engineering, doctor, and then the third one is hmm it could be that's that that's debatable that's a gray area it could be business law nursing it could be the like the third one is me 
is oh a comedian no can what? you imagine yeah i'm pharmacy. like whoa you're you're a parent oh pharmacy that's hilarious <laughs> guess guess what i am oh don't tell me you're a pharmacist i'll actually have to i'm an engineer <laughs> oh right i was gonna say i was like i'm not talking to another pharmacist literally cannot be bothered are those all the podcasts in the uk just pharmacists have all the podcasts in the uk no i don't think there's any other pharmacist in the uk that would because like I think a lot of the pharmacists I work with actually wanted to do pharmacy or like were passionate about pharmacy. There's nothing wrong with pharmacy. No, like of course it's a not. good degree. It's a good job. Same with engineering. It's just not, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. My Same brother's an engineer, but she doesn't, he doesn't practice as an engineer. He went into something else. Same. Because, um, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I ended up going, I did pharmacy because I didn't do medicine and I didn't do engineering. So exactly. I did pharmacy. <laughs> And that logic makes total sense. I'm not going to ask any follow-up question, but I bet when you grew up, it'd be like, so I don't want to be a doctor or a fucking engineer. So here's plan C. Like people are like, There's plan A, B or C. Yeah. A, B or C. And it had yeah. to be one of the yeah. three. Same, same, same. I had A or B, doctor, engineer. Oh, you didn't get a third option? No, 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 no. I wasn't so lucky, but... Uh, if anything, you think about it, engineering is the easiest, right? Like I looked at it as a kid as like, how many years are you in school? And it seemed like yeah. if pharmacy was that option too. Pharmacies, you needed a degree and then some extra school, right? Oh, I don't know so how it is. Five years. Okay. Five, five years, years altogether. Yeah. So four years and then one year uh, pre-registration and then exams and then you're registered. So five years in total. Okay. Minimum five years. Some people, it takes them obviously longer. Some people <laughs> yeah. have to do something before. But I didn't even think about it in time. I couldn't do engineering because I was so whack at physics. Literally, gotcha. didn't gotcha. I couldn't grasp it. That was me in biology. Uh, biology, biology is just memorizing. I know, and I and I recognize that, and I'm like, uh, I like the little puzzle of math and physics and stuff. And I'm see, like, that's annoying because I love maths. It's yeah. such a shame. Like, I wouldn't have minded using maths as like, but I would. It would have to be like kind of organic maths, not. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. Oh, when you go into engineering, you don't you don't even see numbers anymore. It's all proofs and symbols and just all it is is the freaking Greek alphabet, you know? Nah, CBA for that it's the has worst. to be hardcore mathematics. So I wasn't I wasn't using anything that I enjoyed. Basically, it's not what I expected. Um, it's not that I didn't enjoy it, but it's just one of those things like you've got to, you just do it. So I did some hosting at uni, but nothing um, serious because exams kind of took over and stuff. Ho so. uh, hosting as in hosting comedy shows or hosting? Yeah. So like just hosting different shows, host, hosting events, gotcha. hosting okay, cool, cool. Um, like, you know, Diwali festivals and this and that. And, you know, just got a bit, but I couldn't do too much. Because you you, that was, was your personality is like you were that personality. Yeah, like, those, well, it's like pharmacy is such a waste of my personality. Yeah. Like, a I, waste of my personality. I look back at my life and even if you asked me when I was in sixth grade what I wanted to be, I'd be like, oh, engineer. You know what I mean? It was already like, I already knew because those were my options and I made the choice, not doctor, right? So yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I think, you know, the way this works is only when the person is talking, does it show their camera? So only I can <laughs> see you destroy a gummy worm okay i want the listeners a to what wasn't that a gummy worm no it's a fizzy straw okay that's some uk candy we're, 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 listen we're, that's gonna candy. be a whole new language yo how do you say it sweet oh my god 
<laughs> we're going to talk about umdurman, tea, biscuits. Trust me, we're going to hit on all of it, all right? Oh, you bloody stereotypical. I, oh, oh, okay. Well, I mean, you already said sweets, so this is perfect. <laughs> I love it. Uh, what was I going to ask? So, so hosting just fell in your lap because you were always that personality, right? Yeah, so um, I ran a... Uh, what do you call it? A uh, what do you call it? An in, open mic. I know what we call it. Open mic. You know, you've got like oh, you've got the basketball association and like, football like a club? university. Yeah, yeah, a club, a, cl- a club. Gotcha. And okay. it was a multicultural club, so I used to host um, all our events. But that was only for the first two years. After when it got to third year, fourth year, and pre-reg, there was actually no time for anything. Yeah, I, but I think as you know, you find yourself getting into that cycle of expenditures outgoing so you're under pressure to work and mm-hmm. then mortgage and then this yep. and then that yep yep so i was in a, I, basically i was stuck and i kept saying next year i'll start next year i'll do something next year i'll do something next year and it was next year next year next year next year and then i hit the big three oh gotcha okay we're talking about years <laughs> do i dare is there still is there a stigma on three oh in over there like Yes, there is. Okay, all right, okay. We'll leave it at that. So you hit that, and then you were like, And then okay, I was like, what this. the hell am I doing? Yeah. I was like, what am I doing? I was like, I'm going to keep saying next year, next year, next year, until when? Until when? So I was like, allow this. I'm going to do it. So I was living in Manchester at the time. Now, how far um, is that from London? Just I'm, I'm a stupid Canadian redneck boy. Mm, you know? <laughs> from London, it's... Three hours, three and a half hours drive. Okay, about two hundred so miles. You go by miles. We go by kilometers. We're we're not that bad. Come on, we're not that bad. <laughs> oh, I don't know what it is in kilometers, but I know it's two hundred miles. Whoa, you guys do miles in England? Yeah. Oh, I guess the English were the original imperial system, right? We are the original imperial. System. That's hilarious. You guys got inches. You guys use weird units for for weight, like. Um, Kilograms. No, no. Yeah, yeah, that one. <laughs> well, how do you no, no. use? No, no, no. You use like, okay, your money is like squid or something. Quid. There's quid, right? Quid, yeah. Wow, that's a slang way of saying it. Yeah, but and it also sounds like a Harry Potter book, so it's perfect. I love it. I'll give you oh, four. Oh, Quidditch. I see. I see what you went there. I'll give you four quid for that. <laughs> you know? Oh, my. I don't know what accent that. That sounded Mandarin, mate. It doesn't sound British. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. <laughs> So, do you hit the open mic scenes hard in uh, Manchester? Or did you have to move there first, or like move uh, out? Of there? No, no, no. So, um, the Manchester comedy scene's sick. Um, I'd say it's second, probably after London. It's kinder than the London circuit. So, people are more. I don't. That's how it came across. People like are very supportive in the northwest. I felt like they were. Uh, so I hit the open mic scene. Um, well, I was actually quite lucky. I did literally about three or four open mics where I had to, you know, kind of go and apply for it. And then probably within two weeks, my name already kind of got out there. So people were messaging me wow. to ask me to do gigs. Um, unpaid, like. Yeah, 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 of course. Can I ask the open mic system there? Does it is it list based? Is there a cap at twenty? Do you pay like New York or do you book it in advance? How do, how does the open mics work over there? So there's some open mics. I'm talking the dirty whack ones yeah. where you just uh, walk in. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the you just perform, the but then you get like some proper people don't even do comedy. People come to moan about their ex-wives or they come to just oh, stand on stage and be like, I want exactly. to know how it feels like to be on a stage. So it's nothing like serious. <laughs> and then you've got the ones where... And they, the deranged. You missed, you forgot the deranged. Mate, you have no idea. Literally, I do. No I went idea. to the open mic scene in Detroit and San Francisco. So, I, think, I, th I think they're not like the British though. Oh yeah? Well, did, can be give me an example that like tells me what you mean by like a British nightmare open mic scene or a situation. Um, probably one of the first ones I want to, went to, they're all like completely drunk. First of all, you're like they're all, because they're nervous. So they'll drink a lot. Um, I'd say about 50% of them forget their lines and tell you openly, Oh, I forgot my lines. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to talk about, uh, 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 and they'll see a chair. They'll be like, okay, I'm going to, Try and make that chair funny. Uh, and it's just literally, and I'm like, what am I doing? But the thing is, the audience are probably just as drunk as the person on the stage. So sometimes, like, what people need to understand, it's not easy. You don't, you don't perform to people who actually want to see comedy straight away. Sometimes oh, it's, it's rarely, like, it's rarely that. Mm -mm -mm. Oh. And, yeah. and it's a bit of a struggle and stuff. But, uh, yeah, so... Alhamdulillah, like, you know, it was like that for a while. And don't even get me wrong, like, even when I was starting to pick up, I was still performing in, like, places like that. But um, after time, after time, after time, uh, some of the proper comedy clubs reached out to me and, um, you know, and I started performing at, like, bigger clubs. And when you start performing at bigger clubs, bigger promoters hear of you and then when bigger promoters hear of you, blah, 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 blah. It kind of goes on from there. I entered a competition. So it's one of um, the biggest, um, do you have gong shows where you are? Probably, but I don't know by that name. What's a gong show? A gong show is basically you apply, it's like a competition, you apply for it. And then uh, three members of the audience randomly are assigned with red cards so your job is, as a comedian is to go on stage and you've got five minutes to impress. And in those five minutes, the audience can start booing you and that prompts the people to put red cards up. And if you get three red cards, you have to get off the stage. Oh, that's awesome. We don't have anything like that at all. I, I think I'm going to Lucky like you. Oh, is it terrible? <laughs> oh, it's the scariest, 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 scariest experience ever. Oh, because wow. so I entered that competition and the people, the four people before me, they all got carded and booed off. So obviously I was absolutely terrified, but I won and I made it to the next stage. I made it to the semifinals and then I made it to the World Series. I didn't win the World Series. This comedian who's amazing, he's, good, he's, he's a really good guy. His name's Toussaint. He Did he win that year? I think it was him that won that year. But because I got to the World Series after only, you know, gigging in the circuit for like four months, I think that in itself worked in my favor. And then there's a, the, the biggest uh, comedy platform, like news-wise, is called Chortor News. Yeah. So in their, like, one of their articles, they were there at the World Series. They made a mention of me. And then, obviously, that put me on the map. And then, yeah. Did they do it? They, they made the mention, like, via social media? Or they were just like, we got 
Oh, it is like we've been seeing her and like she's on the map. No, it was a really good mention. They were like, oh, um, Ona, who's new on the circuit, basically never seen her before. She came up and she impressed them, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, they said some good things and they obviously. That's a huge vouch. Yeah, yeah, it was massive. I was really surprised that I was even on there. Like, I was like, what? What? So... What, cha- what changed after the mention for you in that? Wait, so at this. Uh... This was like, this is in Manchester at this time? Yes, I was okay. in Manchester at this time. I only and moved down south uh, three weeks ago. Three weeks? Okay. You, you know, I feel interesting. It's like weeks ago? England is the only place where the south is like the good area, right? <laughs> it's usually always the north is the nice, but it seems like in England, it's like, ooh, we're going to the south. No, I think uh, when you say South, do you, uh, do you I mean, mean like London? more London. Yeah, exactly. And so North is Londoners, more Londoners will say London's the best. London, 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 London. Nah. <laughs> they, they need to calm down. There's more to London. So Londoners will tell you that, but I don't live in London. So I live even souther than London. I live across, like um, on the seafront in a place called Portsmouth. So I wouldn't like London's nice, but I need the fresh air. Like I don't, I don't like it too, um, like crammed. And I like being near the sea. I like you know sea air. So I personally, but London's like an hour away from me. It's not that long of a drive. Are there are but there any gigs for you locally where you're at? Oh hell nah. Oh no, yeah. Anyways, because there's a big Sudanese community here. Ah yes 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 of course okay I got yeah. you. That's perfect. Isma, her like daughter of whoever. And, uh, <laughs> I was waiting. I was like, does this guy know my dad's name? No, no, yeah, <laughs> you know, no, 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 bit whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, da- daughter of whoever. Uh, Masha, she's going. Uh, comedy. Not that they go to comedy clubs or anything, but it's dead here anyway. There's nowhere to perform. There's theatres. And, you know, when, like, big names are touring, maybe they'll come down here. But it, I don't think it kind of has the scene for that. Like, there's a place not far away called Southampton. So some stuff happens that there. only 20 really minutes nice. away. Southampton. Yeah. Nah, nah, it's a shithole. No? Oh, fuck. Okay. Nah, absolutely yeah. shithole, yeah. Yeah, in my state, opinion. The States totally recreated that Hampton brand, huh? Now in the States, yeah. it's like, ooh, they took it. It's not that it's a shit. Obviously, it has, like, good parts, but, like, because I'm from Portsmouth, there's a massive rivalry between Southampton and Portsmouth. So everyone from Southampton says Portsmouth shit, and everyone from Portsmouth says Southampton shit. So I don't think it's shit, but because it's part of my upbringing to say that it's shit. Do you ever go to Southampton and talk shit about Portsmouth? Oh, hell no, oh, mate. Can you imagine? No. <laughs> yeah. Because that, the Sudanese community is not there, so you could do comedy. But then you are turning your back on... But you just moved to Portsmouth, right? You didn't grow up there, did you? or did you? No, no, I did. I did. Oh, I did. okay. So, okay. Uh, yeah, born and raised. Uh, oh, uh, let me and- ask this. Is there a huge Sudanese... So there's a huge Sudanese community in Portsmouth, uh, England? Yeah, big. It never used to be. Like, in my day, there was only three families, and they're, like family to me um but it wasn't until the 
two, early 2000s that more families started to come in. But before, there was no Sudanese people. Gotcha. Now, I, there's Lou. I grew up in a place called London, Ontario. So I, we're in the second London, all right? We got your, you bloody copyright. Yeah, exactly. We're the Canadians. We're like, please, your mother, mother, may I, have, <laughs> may I have another, may I have a bailout, mother? No, like, literally, I grew up in London. May Ontario. I have a what? A bailout? Yeah, you know, I don't know, thinking countries, you know? I don't know. That was on the fly. I, I, <laughs> Bomb. That'd be the third red card for me at the gong show. Boom. <laughs> oh, God. Why did I go Here's my red card. Yeah. Those actually look like freaking, what's it called? Uh, gummy worms. But anyways, enough on that. Uh, oh, yeah, you're right. It was the straws. Huh, I judge you. Uh, so I grew up, huge Sudanese community. And in my community, so my dad, uh, this is probably the story all over the world. My dad very educated, you know what I mean? Uh, he studied in Sudan, um, got his uh, MBA in economics for a scholarship in like Holland, worked in the, I grew up in Oman for a couple of years then I moved to Canada when I was in grade one, so six years old. And then my dad came to Canada and all of his European um, like diplomas and work experience, not just the African, even the European stuff they weren't willing to accept. So he couldn't get anything. So my dad pretty much ended up driving a cab for 15 years plus, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a huge, and he's one of the rare, very educated ones in the Sudanese community. And what did he, he study? Uh, he has his MBA in economics. He's got his uh, undergrad oh, wow. in finance. He was a minister of finance for Oman. Like we lived in Muscat for, for like one mm-hmm. of them, they have multiple ministers. But uh, like very, lived in Jeddah, like Saudi for six years, fine. Taught in Jamaat al-Khartoum, like University of Khartoum. Uh, lectured there so all this stuff they didn't see it. ended up driving a cab here for and a lot of the Sudanese people in this community and the Somalian uh, like uh, refugees and new immigrants drive cabs and now it's changing because of Uber and Lyft culture because the cabs used to grant you the opportunity to have a lot of cash income you mm. know what I mean it's really heavy taxing when you claim everything that's why people love gig work that have tips right so now it's kind of going away. I want to know in, in Portsmouth, is there like an industry that the, all the Sudanese people go toward? Like, are they all doing warehousing? Are they all driving the cabs? Are they, are, is everyone like, are they actually, uh, what's the word? Like morphing into the society, like, uh, like actually distributing uh, um, themselves between professions. Because I yes. never saw that. So it's the same here. You do get a lot of cab drivers. Uh, they go, they do taxi. They work as security guards as well a lot. Um, it's a shame because a lot of them are educated, like really, really, really educated people, like really, really educated people. My dad's a geologist. Um, he's got a PhD in geology. And, um, you know, I said three families came to Portsmouth. Yeah, what? Continue, sorry. Oh, yeah. Sorry. No, you're good. Yeah, so three families came, three families came, like, were here from the beginning, like, there was no other Sudanese. It was my dad and two other people, and they were all geologists, so they all went to uni together, worked together at the the Ministry of Geology, and they all came to the UK together, and they all worked as geologists for, like, you know, doing their PhDs and stuff, but in the UK, what, what is there to geologize it's yeah, nothing it's all just go concrete Saudi. and thingy yeah, you gotta go to the golf exactly yeah. so my dad like did odd jobs here and there you gotcha. know like 
manual jobs or whatever. And then eventually he was basically he was like, I can't, you know, he was like, what can I do that will benefit me? So he went and did a master's in maths and uh, became a mathematics teacher in we say secondary school. I think you guys say, we say high we school. Say that too. Yeah, we say this. We say secondary school. Like we say oh, high yeah. school, but when you drive by the school, it'll say like queen secondary school, you know? Okay. Yeah. So from like 12 years to about 16 years old. So that's awesome. That's like, that's an amazing story because I rarely saw people get, there was literally two or three uh, Sudanese uncles in the community that I saw actually like one guy who against all odds, one Sudanese, Ammu, I still remember him to this day. He somehow got the manage. He worked at the local movie theater, the silver city. And yeah. He, and he, and which is rare for a Sudani new immigrant with a family, you know? Mm-mm-mm. But he worked his way up, and like while I grew up, ten, fifteen years, he worked his way up to being like the like the the managing director. Like I don't know how it works with he worked his way up really high, right? And like yeah, every yeah. every Eid for like ten years, when we saw him in Eid, we'd be like, "Oh, I'm, I'm, can we get free tickets?" He's like, "Ah, we, we, yeah, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see." Never once gave us one. <laughs> Never once. Every Eid we asked for one. <laughs> There's no wasters in these countries. Um, but do you know what? Like, in all honesty, it really it does, it does break my heart. It, 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 ups, it upsets me to um, see or hear, like, to know that your dad, mashallah, like, he works as a minister. Like, that's massive. He's so educated and he's oh. driving a taxi. It really, really upsets me. When my um, uncle, Abdul Qadir, um, he, he's a... He's a you know, a doctor in geology. And he came here and he worked as a taxi man his whole life. And, um, like, we need to figure out why this is happening. Like, I don't know about Canada, but in the UK, there is a lot of resources to help you. It's not easy, but education is offered. And any education before university or college, as you call it, it is free. You don't have to pay for it, uh, but you get like same student here. loans and stuff. Oh, it's the same. Okay. Same here, so same you, here. And you get student loans for college. Oh uh, Yeah, and you get student loans, exactly. So the thing is that, that that's available to you if you want it. So I think the kind of question is, why don't people take it? I get like, you know, in our father's ages, you don't yeah. want to come to a country and you've already got kids and you want to go to school all over again or yeah. go to college all over again. I get that. But um, I know, subhanAllah, it's the women that go back and study. So I know a lot of women who, after having their kids, their husband will be, whether they'll be taxi people or working in restaurants as waiters or working like... Um, like the service security. industry, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the service industry the women will go back to college and they will get degrees and they'll have fantastic jobs. Um, but, but in Sudan or, or, or with the degrees they no, got? No, here, here. Oh, no, they, oh okay, get, okay, no. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. That's the new generation. I'm seeing that. I'm, uh, that's my sister. She just got married. Her husband, Walid, great guy. Uh, I think he's, he's trying to start a restaurant right now. He's driving a cab. And my sister is literally like in the same boat. She's like educated and she's trying to up her certifications and whatnot so she can work Good. after after her because she has like a one-year-old so after mm. she gets a little older it's the same thing but i never saw that before because before the the generation i came everybody came i have 
five siblings. I'm one of six. Oh, mashallah. I'm one of six. Uh, and every family that was Sudanese around me, they at least had three, if not five, six. And all of them came with a couple, at least like uh, some uh like bachelors, some single guys came. But from what I could see around me in, Sud- in Canada, it seemed like to be able to get into Canada, it's a lot less of a risk for immigration to let in a family than to let in a single guy, you know? So you, so you always see families coming in because they, uh, they had a really open door policy, but they started to close it a lot more because everyone would say they're a refugee to get in the country and they start doing additional screening and then they prioritize you if you have a family. So everyone who comes has a family. So it's super tough for the guy to be like, okay, I'm going to have to put in four years of school on a full-time basis to be able to get a career here. But I have three kids right now. You know so, what that's, I mean? yeah. so that's no, the I trap they get it. into. And the women usually at that time, it was like, I know this is wrong, but this is, you know, the time that it was, but my dad did not like the idea of my mom working. He belittled the idea of my mom working. You know what I mean? I don't think I don't think it's a belittlement, but I think no, no, no I don't talk um, about it in general. I'm talking about in my dad's case. No, yeah, no, no, I, love I know, dad. I, know, I love no, my no. dad. You know, no, I, no, I, I, know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But I'm just, it's, 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 I think, I think it's like a Sudanese men man mentality that I think it hurts. I don't, and I think it's all generations. Like, no disrespect, I can guarantee that if you're with a girl and then all of a sudden she was making fifty thousand pounds more than you, it would make you feel a particular of kind of way. Yeah, of course. I feel like it makes them feel like they're not, they're becoming less of a man because their woman is working and their woman is providing. But at the end of the day, like, I personally don't think it matters to me. Even women talk about it. They were like, how can I get with a man? And I make more than him. A man needs to be making more than me. Girls care about that shit. But it shouldn't matter. Not in this day and age. It's like, we get paid the same. Well, in some countries. But we get paid the same, we have the same opportunities, so there's like literally nothing with it. I actually love it when a man supports and pushes his wife, not only to do better than him, but to carry on developing and pushing. And that's why, wallahi alhamdulillah, I'm so blessed to be married to Rami because I believe there's a lot of Sudanese guys that would never support me in my uh, kind of career artistic um, endeavors yeah decisions oh yeah oh. can you imagine like a typical oh. married some next level fob and i'm like i want to be a stand come she's goofy like dumb a nurse or something. <laughs> don't stand in front of the people and try to make do you know what i yeah, mean yeah, it was so, so i know exactly what you mean a hundred percent and that's why I, I applaud you for finding that I, I, I creep both your accounts. I'm like, okay, he's a musician. She's a kid. They're like, you guys are like the new generation of Sudanese. You know, you are the second Sudanese comedian I've ever met and the first female Sudanese. Who's your first? A, a guy named Ahmed in San Francisco. He's the, the first comedian I, that I know that was doing comedy before me. What's his surname? His surname? Ahmed, uh, maybe Muhammad, I forget. His name is... Oh, what a surprise. No, you know, uh, Ahmed Abdurrahman. What? Yeah. Screw you. I'm Ahmed Abdurrahman. I got it. Screw you. But yo, I'm saying no, I don't like, think I've heard hell of him. yeah. I'll lick him up. I, there's like no, growing up, there was like no Sudanese people like in anything media that I could see. So a, until this day. Here's a question for you. What yeah. do you think about Sudanese comedy? Like Sudanese comedians, old the and only, new. Um, the only, I don't even know any Sudanese comedians, number one, because my Arabic is sucks. Okay, like I can understand oh, okay. it, but like it's 
like, you know, my Arabic's not that bad. I can understand it. You know what I mean? But I, I, I just haven't even looked into Sudanese comedians, number one. And, okay. that's, and that's something I obviously have to do. Number two, the only comedy I saw in Sudan was anytime I was at a, a wedding. Weddings. A wedding? Only, yeah, in Sudan, we'd have comedians at weddings. It, just, it wouldn't be comedy the way you and I know it, but it'd be kind of like an MC doing jokes and light wedding, wife, family material kind of Wallahi, thing. Wallahi, I have never experienced that in my life. Oh, I saw it a couple. That's the only time I saw a comedy. He's like, ah, you know what I mean? On the stage? Wallahi, I saw it. Yeah, Like, yeah, literally comedy. Yeah, this was like when I mid-2000s when I was there. This was maybe some hella shit. I don't know. I don't know if I saw this in Khartoum or Madani. But oh, are you from Madani? I was born in Madani. Shut up. Yeah, my pa- I'll show you my passport right now. It says Madani. Oh, so your family are from Madani? My family is from Waddal Hindi. It's right outside Madani. I know Waddal Hindi. Oh, that's, that's where we're from. <laughs> Waddal Hindi. Okay, okay, okay. So you were born in... How often did, you, did they take you? Because from Canada to Sudan, taking a family of six, it's like a $10,000 trip. So my dad would take us once every, like it's almost it's impossible to afford. But from England, it's probably way cheaper to get to Sudan, right? Uh, yes and no, it depends where you go. Obviously because of like school time and et cetera, et cetera. So we have to go during school holidays and they bump up the price during school holidays. So it wasn't, the easiest but i think my parents would like say for all year just for us to go um we went for the first time in 1995 and didn't go again until 2001 okay and then we right started before 9-11 i hope oh yeah before 9-11 we went yeah. to sudan oh, yeah way before 9-11 well if it's 2001 it would have been in that summer it would have been just three months before because that was September 2001 it was 9-11 right yeah September 2001 11 is the September or oh, wait 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 9-11 as in the Twin Towers yeah when was no that? I don't think so because I was in year three when that happened and when I was in year three how old was why I why do we call it 9-11 the, the reason is in that name 9-11 because it happened on September the 11th yeah 2001 right okay one sec it when, definitely wasn't 2001. September 11, 2001. It, you, so if you went that summer, you were two months before 9-11. How is that possible? The twin tap? I, I don't Maybe you went in 2002 or 2000. No, I definitely went in 2001. But I remember that us talking about the twin towers going down when I was in primary school, like... Did another event happen, like a yeah, massive yeah. one well, in I mean, America? The, the, the Twin Towers the got hit twice. Biggie references it in some song. In the 90s, the, something happened. There was an explosion or something. But, uh, but the twin, the actual 9-11, the, the terrorist attack of 9-11 was September 11, 2001. So the point oh. is you dodged. So If you don't remember it, that means you uh, went before. I, I, I you remember dodged. it happening way before yeah. that. Yeah, mate, I don't remember. But I went in, I went in 2001, definitely. And then we started going every single year. Well, we tried to. Oh, but then okay, when, okay. when I got to 16, I started working anyways. Like, I used to study and work at the same time. So I used to pay for my own ticket. Okay. So, so did, uh, did that, you get to the point where you would just go? 
I love Sudan. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of things. Yeah, my yeah, love yeah, for yeah. my family in Sudan yeah. <laughs> overpowers any annoyance I have with Sudan. It's like, if the things that happened in Sudan happened here, it'd be a very different story. Let's put it like that. Yeah. I feel like 80% of the world is like that. If those, yeah. I'll sometimes be in a, you ever in like a store to pick up food and they got a TV and the TV set to the news and the bottom square of the news is always updates of tragedies. It's always yeah. like one man gets hit in London, 48 dead in Thailand. One man struck in Manchester, 98 die crushed in India. It's like so much of the world, there's so much death. But where we live, it's like any death or anything is like, it just seems crazy. That's how secure these societies and stable they are. Like mm-hmm. people living, you just look, it'll be like person gets car accident, total this. And then the next line will be someplace in, you know, like Southeast Asia or Africa that has like a slang or like a car explosion or a suicide bombing. And you're like, wow, the majority like, of the deaths are happening in like just right out of these pockets. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So then I feel like, I know there was that fire today. You, did you hear about that? A fire in Sudan today? No, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, some people are saying it's a weapons factory. Um, it's set on fire. The skies in, uh, Khartoum are like filled with ashes and smoke. You didn't hear about it. It happened a few hours ago. No, 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 I was just on the, I was in the podcast plugged in. And I, oh, yeah, that's probably know. why, yeah. yeah. Is it bad? But, uh, like Beirut bad? Well, some people are comparing it to Beirut. Um, you've got family out there and they're like, it's really bad at the moment. But they're not going to report it because it's of no benefit to anyone, is it? What, you know was, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 where did it happen? Khartoum? Uh, yeah, Khartoum, yeah. Damn. Yeah, if you go on I Twitter, mean. you'll see it straight away. Yeah. I'll look after this. That's that's pretty crazy. But uh, I want to know about uh, what you thought or just how you feel about Sudan. Do you always stay in Khartoum? Do you go to the Hilla? Like, is, where is your family from? The Hilla or Khartoum or like? The so, Hilla is the village, by the way. Yeah, so we're from a village. Yeah, yeah, we're from a village that's about 35 minutes away from Madani. What's it called? It's called a Sharapa. Sharafa. I feel like Sharafa. I've heard that. You just, they're all those, the Mwasalat, the little transport, they run their circuit right around with the Hindi and Sharafa. You yeah, know what yeah, I'm yeah, talking yeah. about? No, <laughs> 100%, 100% I've heard of it. And I think we have someone there. I'll have to ask my dad. Like, I never know on top of my head, but I'm sure we have. Yeah, who do we have? Oh, I can't even be bothered to think about it, but I know we do. Um, have you heard of Rufa'a? Rufa, who's Rufa? Was just I. The only reason I feel like I heard of that was because I think Bentley Brown was there or something like that. And he brought yeah, it what up. What are you I doing just, there? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like he just brought it up last podcast. I'm like Rufa. Why would I have heard of that recently? Is that uh, where is that? It's right next to where you live, mate. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Rufa. I know. Uh, let's see. Hasisa Rabak. My uncle lives in Rabak. I was born. So Hasahisa is really close to us as well. Yeah, my dad so studied in Hasahisa. Uh, oh, did he? Yeah, my dad. So my dad, you know, how you said exactly what your, what people tell you about your dad. 
exact same thing. You know, in Sudan back in the day, and maybe even till this day, they rank you, you know, when you do the standardized test. So they would give you a number. So I remember always going back when I would go back every five years to the Hilla, hang out, and they're like, Wallahi, Abuk. Uh, what was it? Gawai. Wallahi, Abuk. Wallahi, Abuk. Rakam Sitta. Fil Balad Kulla. Laman Kharraj. Sitta. Ah, the ranking. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? And uh, he was so the, my cousins would always tell me that my dad was. Are you sure he was, studied in Hasahisa not Hantub? I don't know if he ever. I've never heard of Hantub, but my, my dad's old. I mean, my dad's like seventy almost. That's not old, rude. Yeah, I mean, I guess probably we're your dad's probably around the same age. I guess. Yeah, he's in his sixties. Yeah, okay. Well, there you go. Well, I mean, come on. Let's not deny reality. It's like seventy. That's not old. Yeah, no, it's old. But uh, but yeah, I mean, he he said has has he said where else? Uh, Russell something or what am I thinking of? Umjabit uh, or I forget these names. Are you just making stuff up now? I think I might just be making stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> so like I'm putting some hair. The you saw your reflection in the mirror and you went, rah, Yeah, rah. I gotta go. No, I gotta, I gotta talk. It's on me. <laughs> so, what the Hindi and your, uh, your hill is called what again? Sharafa. Sharafa. They're probably the exact same living, right? Probably. I love say. it though. Uh, yeah, isn't it? How nice are the stars at night in the hilla, you know? It's, that's the best part. I always say that me. you can look in the sky. For Sharafa, you can because we sleep outside, and you can look at the sky, and you feel like you can truly see like the shape and the like structure of the earth. I know it sounds weird. You see its roundness. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking it, it's, about. It, like you can kind of see the curvature, like almost like it's a dome being held, like held up by something, but you just don't know what. And um, I love being in Sudan and seeing stuff like that because I feel like it strengthens my faith like a lot more because it just, it's just mind blowing to me. I love it. I love it so much. And having this conversation makes me want to book a ticket right now. Wallahi, it does. Honestly. I'm going to go to Sudan. I'm going to go to Sudan soon. I got to get to Sudan. Uh, it's just the airports at the moment with COVID. Are yeah, just- you know, I, I don't mean like in the next month. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I just want to go to Sudan. See, I just want to go to Sudan. So I want to go to the Hilla, go to Khartoum, see my cousins, chill a little bit, chill. eat Shaya. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my days nap. get gout. Yeah, <laughs> Take yeah. a nap. Oh, I love <laughs> naps in Sudan more than anything. Hilla. I love it. I love the Hilla. It's like all my cousins are engineers. All of them have an engineering degree, but everyone's just Standard. on a bed under the tree. Everyone is on a bed under a tree. Kullu ahid naim. Don't you want to be? Yeah, 100%. I'm, I'm here working <laughs> like an idiot. <laughs> I swear, I don't know what I do with myself. You know, they think, oh, you know, in England, oh, oh, but if only they knew actually mentally how they have it good. Yeah, it, it, it always looks like we're going to the promised land, you know, from this end. Yo, I just remembered something that's so funny. Uh, from what the Hindi, there was a family whose dad became a doctor and lives in the UK. Oh, amazing. So one time, I think I was 10. It was right around 9-11 too. I was there. I remember all the Hilla kids would get me and my brother. 
and they'd be like, hey, oh, تعال تعال what Canada, what Canada? And they'd come around us and they'd be like, اتكلم انجليزي قول عادي قول عادي like say something, you know what I mean? And I remember for, because we were in the Hilla, when we went to Sudan, we'd go to Khartoum for two weeks and we have a, a place there in the Hilla and we'd be in the Hilla for like three months. <laughs> it'd all be Hilla living, you know? I love it. We'd be there, I swear to you, for a month. Oh, what Canada, what Canada? They're bothering me. Canada boy, Canada boy. And then the, the end of the month, the doctor's family came to visit the Hilla from England. Yes. And, I remember, out. and they had a boy the same age as me. And I shit you not that the, there was a leader of the what Canada like mob. And uh, when that kid came, literally this happened. He goes, I forget how to even say it. And he goes, Oh, he's from UK. They invented it. And then the crowd swarmed, moved from me and went to him. And I was like, yes. <laughs> and he was literally being enveloped by people. I saw his arm go up. Like, ah. <laughs> like, yeah, have you seen Terminator too? But I Probably. That's just uh, subconsciously. I'm just, is that, did I just redo a scene from there? Yeah, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, when yeah. at the end, like he has to self-terminate. So he goes in the lava and he's sinking, and then you just see his Yeah, arm. yeah, exactly. And that's end, that's uh, what, uh, what, the Britannia, what Britannia. What Britannia. Uh, is that what, that's what they would say. That's what they say, Britannia. They're right? so annoying. When I went in 2001, my dad's sister, uh, she has a daughter who's a little bit younger than me. And she was like, And I was like, <laughs> I was like, And she was like, she didn't think you would know. Bro, I was like 14 years old. I was like, okay, that's fine. I'm happy to swing that way if you're happy with me to swing that way. <laughs> whatever, whatever floats your boat. <laughs> whatever you kept, floats your boat. You kept going back year after year. and I do love Sudan, yeah. Do you, when you go there, do you feel like you have the full autonomy to just like, like let's say you're in Khartoum, to grab the muasalat, go somewhere and meet uh or do you have friends there you can it's pretty much just hanging out with family i'm assuming yeah yeah yeah. like um at the in the first few years like prior to because i lived at home so i was fully like dependent on my parents not financially but to do you sheltered, things right? yeah, for yeah, me yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah but when i moved out in 2014 and then i started going to sudan like and I went to in 2015, it was very much like, I'll grab a reksha, I'll grab an amjad on my Whoa, own. Oh, sick, sick, sick. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll kind of like get my bearings. So like I'm leaving, I'd be on I'm the phone. Grab, uh, yeah, yeah. Like, obviously, we still had to be home by decent hours. So we'd be home by like, المغرب, like before Isha, you know. Yeah, like yeah. Just um, no funny business kind of thing. Yeah, um, right. But yeah, like, even if I went to Sudan now, I came back in December, but if I went to Sudan now, I think I'll be relatively comfortable like staying there without my parents and being able to get around and buying stuff. And, you know, I, I think I'd be okay doing yeah. that. Yeah, I, that's, that's the thing. I haven't been to Sudan since 2009. Whoa. In 2010, 2009, that Christmas break, I went to Sudan. Ten, ten years. years. Ten years, yeah, exactly. Man, that's right? mad. Uh, so I really want to go back and just be like, and just be in environment because right now I default any opportunity. I have to speak Arabic. I default to English. So mm. my, my Arabic is just 
just deteriorating. You know what I mean? Like, and now, now that I see, now that I can't find words, I'm embarrassed. So I like, I try to speak it more, but I, the best lesson would be just delve in there for a month, you know, three weeks. That'll be, do you hang out with Sudanese people in Canada? I don't like, I don't have a lot of Sudanese people here around me at all. Like, I have a couple of Sudanese people that know me on my Did you say you live in Toronto? I live in Toronto, yeah. Bro, that is Sudan. Like, what are you talking about? I, I know there's Sudanese people here, you know what I mean? But I, I only moved to Toronto like two years ago. Only pursuing... How were you before? I was in... So I... My story is that uh, I grew up in London, right? The fake London. And then I went <laughs> to school in, in a city called Waterloo because we steal everything. I've heard of Waterloo, Yeah, yeah. And then I went to the States for three years. I worked in Detroit and San Francisco for engineering for three years. So kind of your same thing. And I would do open mics at night for that whole last year. And then at one point, the company I was working for went bankrupt. I lose my job. I lose my visa. So I moved back to Canada at 20, late 2017. And I get like my bearings in London for a couple months. And then I moved to Toronto just about two years now, like two years, May of 2018. And since then, I've just been out here just grinding these open mics, doing comedy content, trying to get into acting business, doing jobs here and that. I haven't been in social mode at all. All the only Sudanese people I know are the ones now who are seeing me from my social media and the ones I grew up with and my family in London. And how is your comedy going? I mean, right now, that's why I wanted to ask you about how the post-COVID rollout is happening. I, I don't know if you can even say post-COVID yet, but how that's happening comedy-wise on your end. Because for us, we're just trickling in patio shows, outdoor-only shows. Same, the same, law same. is we can technically perform indoors, but not a lot of venues are endorsing it so far. So it's you exactly the same as us, yeah. And you see some of the major clubs are opening again. I haven't been to any. I just don't know what they're doing. People every two seats, not seating. I know a, a club in Toronto just put plexiglass in front of the stage, separating the audience and the comedian. Imagine this. The prob- the, but the problem isn't the spread between the comedian and the audience. The comedian's way more than two meters away from a front seat. So that's not the issue. The issue is contraction between audience members. What are, what are, what are they thinking? Exactly. exactly. The, 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 that separation, that barrier only applies to one person. You know what I mean? And the nightmare of it all is that apparently when you perform, you can see your reflection in the plexiglass. <laughs> Which is, that would imagine, be the most I know, I know. That's thing what I, ever. You don't understand how much of a nightmare if you don't do comedy. That's like, I mean, you probably could imagine that to kind of be able to see yourself would just be the worst thing possible. So, you know, when people practice that people always ask me, how do you practice? And I used to see like in the open mic, people like looking in the mirror and talking to themselves and I can see them going. That's crazy. I've never seen that, but that's I, I can't, I can't, I cannot, I cannot practice <laughs> yeah. in the mirror. I've, it sounds really weird, but I annoy the fuck out of me. Like the concept of me annoys me. So I can't imagine talking to myself in the mirror over and over again. You're a real comedian, but, by the way. That's a true comedian. <laughs> oh, is it really? You're like, yeah, you're like, I'm, I'm fed up with myself. I need to come, you know what I mean? Comedian. I need to do something else. But yeah. what I don't mind doing is like performing it. Like just say, for example, I've got a big show. I'll go to an open mic, like a small thingy. 
and use that to practice my sketch, record myself, and then I could, I'm more than happy to watch it back, watch it back, oh, watch it back. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, I don't like watching or listening to myself, but I do it out of necessity to see where stuff pops, that thing I said in the moment that I don't remember, but I remember it was funny, like that type of stuff. But, mm -hmm. uh, but for me, I, I don't know if you drive, but I, and you said you have a lot of gigs, one hour drive to London. So I'm sure mm. you do this. I say my bits out loud in the car. That's my favorite place is in the car I driving. I say my bits out loud. I, I can't can look at myself and do my bits. Like I don't do that mirror thing. Oh, nah, I'd rather, I'd rather just be alone doing my bits out loud than listening to myself quietly or listening to a recording of me at a show. Yesterday. Yeah, I'll get you. I'll get you. There's it's, something it's, about it's, I hate my voice. Get... You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I hate my voice too. That's all I think about. Because I feel like I, I don't sound like myself. Yeah. Like when I hear me back, I'm like, oh my God, do I sound like that? And yeah. it makes me love my husband more because he has to listen to me. I feel so bad. Actually, yeah. I don't feel bad. I'm listening. I'm listening to my recordings. I'm like, deep in your voice, little bitch. <laughs> I'm like, you know? I'm like, it's not that high. What the fuck? But, but um, right now, so what are you doing with COVID then? Like I said, just some patio shows outdoor. I have a show right tonight at in three hours, seven o'clock. Uh, nice. Only rolling back out. I'll tell you this. I've done five shows. Since Mar since COVID first came and stopped everything, I've done like five shows, six. Tell me your opening line. Well, I change it all the time. I just make fun of the whatever's happening or oh, right now, uh, right now I've been saying like 2020 is crazy. You know, I matter now, which I didn't see that coming. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> and then I get into this whole race stuff. I do a lot of race stuff. I'm I really grew up on the school of uh, Chappelle, so I find I that Chappelle. I do a lot of that. You know, you know, you mimic kind of uh, your favorites and then slowly you craft your own voice. Mm. So I'm, I'm still in that. I find sometimes I hear myself doing that a little bit of that Chappelle, you know, society observation, commentary kind of racial stuff. Go and tell me something. Give me a joke. Uh, okay. So like I do, like I've been, I've, I do one bit about, uh, I just, I've said this before on the podcast for those listening. I just don't want to give out all the stuff. But uh, you probably get this because uh, it's weird being a black Arab, you know? I don't classify myself as an Arab at all, so. So over here, I grew up in the Arab community. I, find, I classify myself as a black Arab, Arab, black Canadian. Like, it's not like one thing at all. But the point is that people find it weird you know like one time i was talking to my mom on the phone and uh in arabic and a, a buddy of mine came up and he goes he goes bro i thought you were black <laughs> you know so then i started i'm like what do you think black is you know like the police pull you over they read your name oh abbas abdul wahab i'm mistaken <laughs> you know <laughs> right i thought you were black do you have that issue in canada as well i feel like canadians are more yeah, it's better. But you know what it is that sucks about the police in Canada? It's just, it's pretty peaceful here. So when they pull you over, when they do anything, they have so much time on their hand and they take their sweet fucking time with the ticket or all that. You know what I mean? That's the annoying thing about them. But they're not really like shooting black people left and right or anything. Yeah, good. It's no, more of a good. native problem here. You know, that's that disparaged thing that's happening. Actually, it's black and native. Because the native are the historically disenfranchised in Canada. 
Yeah, because a lot of British people, especially like Sudanese people, for example, a lot of them want to go to Canada. Um, you'll find it's very difficult to get visas, to get um, conversions, like degree conversions. Uh, but once you make it to Canada, it's like people, it is a better lifestyle than here. It is better income than here. It's better health care than here. Um, it's better safety than here. The people are nicer than here. Is it better so, healthcare? Is the UK's healthcare a problem? Yes. It's free healthcare, but we're very much understaffed. And, you know, like if you, you know, if you need a scan, you can, you can be waiting. Or if you've got a referral, you can wait up to three months to get seen, depending on the severity yeah. and stuff like that. But it's not, it's not. That's what happens Easy. when it's, it's public. So I, I lived in Canada pretty much most of my life. It's free here, right? Same kind of thing. Long, you go to the, you go to the emergency, you're there. I hit my head. Like I have a scar right here. See that right there? I have that scar. Yeah, I hit my above old, your eyebrow. Yeah, I hit my older brother's forehead when I was six. I was six, he was eight, but he was short. And we were running around and we smashed foreheads. And I blew my head open. And I was bleeding from the head down to my like toes literally when i showered later that night i had blood on my toes just trickling down but i they, they put me in the uh this was in 97 98 i was in the emergency waiting area for three hours and then they put me in a in an uh like they took me to a doctor's office and i was there for two hours you know yeah, same, yeah. so five hours to get a six-year-old's head stitched you know? Oh, did you end up getting stitches? Yeah, I ended up. So it sounds like UK, they would just send you home at that point. I don't know what the. I yeah, getting, like yeah, I had like a lot of stitches. It was like. But because you're thing. pediatric, well, you would probably. I guess here you would have been seen quicker. That does, that's what I'm saying. Kid. That's my point is as a six year old, it's the same. The system falls prey to the same issues because it's public, right? They, they, it's, it's limited to what the money they're willing to put into it. But then I moved to the States and they have a terrible universal plan because it doesn't exist but what they do have is amazing private healthcare. and i started getting these engineering jobs that are like you know like mid-level good career job that has benefits mm. oh the medicine i had access to yo i had a rash on my nose and i needed to see a dermatologist i didn't even have to go to a physician and be like i have a rash on my nose i just called a dermatologist and they're That's like that's amazing they're like, they're like do you want to come tomorrow at 2 or 4 no but you pay probably good money for that kind of level of insurance if i had private you pay insurance just copay. you just pay your copays which is 25 bucks and, and depending on your level of benefits sometimes it's zero copay like if you if you have a proper career you're going to have good health insurance but obviously that's like a numbers game a lot of people aren't in that, but I didn't know that I got the job. I got the benefits and I'm coming from Canada where I, I was expecting to go to a family doctor who's going to give me a referral yeah. and then I'm going to exactly call the same. office and they're going to tell me they can get me in in three weeks. And so yeah. this, I was like, blown three away. weeks when yeah. I did a dermatologist, I had a two and a half month waiting time. Yeah. I mean, that's what happens when it's free, right? <laughs> it's like a balance. It's either you it's pay for it and some people get ruined or, the yeah, here you can get private insurance if you want to. Yeah, you can get private insurance here if you want to. You have to pay for it out of your own pocket. But because you pay like taxes that go towards your NHS, sometimes you feel like what a waste of money because like your 
technically paying for it because it's coming out of your taxes. And then on top of that, you're paying for your private insurance. I wonder how much private insurance costs here. I'm not actually sure. If you, what's, what's taxes like in, in, is it, oh, way, is it way more in London? Like I'm not, I'm talking about, is there a city tax or is it just by the country? No, it's, it's by the country. So if you made like a hundred thousand pounds uh, in Canada, that would be like, you'd probably get taxed 35% of that at least probably in net because it's obviously brackets but when it comes down to the chunk they're taking probably around 35 36 percent here it depends in a nutshell the first eleven thousand pounds you make is untaxed same here then from dollars yeah so and then from eleven thousand to thirty thousand it's like that between the 11 and the 30, mm-hmm. you get paid, you get taxed 20%. And then between the 30,000 and the 40 something thousand, you get taxed 30%. And then anything above like whatever it is like 50 something thousand, you get taxed 50%. 50%? So of anything over the 50,000. So not on everything. No, no, just- I know, no, I totally get, I know. I like, I, I, I do my own taxes, so I get the brackets, but that's crazy because that for, I think Canada has the highest bracket is 49% tax. And I think that isn't used until income over 250 or $400,000. I forget no, which one of those two. I don't think it's that. I don't think it's I feel like 50,000, they take over 50, they take 50% of anything over 50. That's crazy. Is it 50 or is it 50 something? Yeah, I'm sure That's it why is. people want sure to come to Canada, I bet, huh? They're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, tax, the thing is uh, that I feel with this country is like, the harder you work, the more you earn, the more you earn, the more you get taxed. So I genuinely, genuinely believe here, no matter how hard you work, you don't feel like you're making, I honestly don't feel like I'm financially in a better situation than I was when I first qualified. I really can't see the difference. So I feel like here, if you're rich, you're rich. If you're working, if you're working, whether you're working as a taxi person, by the way, taxi people, you know, they're self-employed. They can make really good money. That's why, that's why they all go in it in London where I grew up. Yeah, exactly. That's, they don't go in it. Exactly. Exactly. Like easily a taxi person can probably make more than me. A taxi person definitely made more than me when I was like, you know, starting, like starting off, um, as a pharmacist, even, when I progressed to a band seven, they were definitely probably making more than me. But I just feel like here, it doesn't matter what you do, whether like my dad's example was, he said, I'm a teacher and your mom's a teaching assistant and we live in the same neighborhood. Um, so next door to someone who one of them doesn't work and the other one works part time doing in a call center or something like that. So we were probably making probably four times the income they were making. But it's the same. But we drive similar cars. We go to similar places. We go so on similar holidays. the middle class holiday. is like massive. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. There's no like, you, you don't, you don't, you don't prosper. You the advantage. Yeah. I you never prosper. It's like, a, huh, that's interesting. I never heard that. Yeah. I, I, that's what? how I see it. I don't know if the pharmacy system or process is similar to Canada, but why is it I got to come back in like 20, 25 minutes? What is it you guys are doing when I come and give you a thing? 
and they always say, you know, come back in 20. That's how it is here. I don't know if it's when, if someone shows up with a, a, a script for medication, do you give it to them? Do you give it to them right away? Like within a couple of minutes, put it together. Cause here they're always like, come back. Yeah, because I think people don't understand that there's a lot that goes into it. We don't just take the prescription and take it off the bloody shelf and then give it to you. <laughs> we have to check. We have to, like, from a hospital perspective, like, we check a lot. We check to make sure it's the right dose, that it's the right product for you. So, I don't know. Say, for example, you were diagnosed with high blood pressure. Okay. Which I probably will be, but continue. <laughs> I hope not. Uh, but a medication that I would give to you is different than a medication that I would give to a white man. It's different for it's different between someone who's above the age of fifty-five and someone who's under the age of fifty-five. It's different if you've got other comorbidities, whether it might be you have um, diabetes or your renal function or your liver function. I have to check all of this. I have to check like, it's not as easy as picking it off the shelf. I have to make sure that what they give you is the right thing for you. So when I get some next level dickhead saying, it's over there, I can see it, it's on the shelf. Just don't pick it up and give it to me. It's like, all right then, but if it fucking kills you, don't come back to me and complain. Why is this medication cause my arm to fall off? <laughs> now I'm never gonna complain about that again i just Never. honestly i just honestly wanted to know okay i'm like what the fuck i'm mad i'm thinking i'm all i'm seeing is what you see from the outside lab coats couple bags just pass me the bag right but i didn't realize you guys were consulting all of your freaking school knowledge like how, how does that work do you are you like do you have to google things or is there like a playbook be like no, okay no. diabetic therefore they only give up to 10 milligrams and they're this. Yeah, yeah. So obviously there's a lot of resources, but the thing is like, um, so I did a postgrad. So I did, uh, I did a two year clinical, um, postgrad. So a lot of these things with experience come to you. So say for example, I could look at a prescription and maybe make sure it's appropriate within five minutes, but someone with less experience than me, maybe it will take them 20, 25 minutes because they have oh, to look gotcha. things up. They have mm -hmm. to make sure. So they'll be like, oh, it says on here he's diabetic. Can I give this medication? If he's diabetic, oh, let me just look it up. But I can know because I've done it like a million times before. Do you know what I mean? And are they very strict on you? Like the, the head pharmacist or the department on your due diligence? They stress that like constantly? Because I'm assuming you fall prey to lawsuits if this shit goes south, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. And it's absolutely terrifying. Um, if you look at a lot of the cases here, especially in my opinion, when it comes to people of color, they are waiting for you to fuck up so they can get rid of you. I really feel like that. They, there's a, I think there's a very big blame culture here. Um, so, yeah, you have to be really, really careful. I know people who have um, been taken off the pharmacy register, for example. I know doctors that have been taken off the doctor's register and not because they're unprofessional or this or that, but because they're under so much pressure. They make mistakes because there's no support and they end up getting um, struck off and it's not their fault at all. You must have heard of the massive news of that Nigerian doctor that got struck off 
because the consultant were, went home early and one of the other doctors was in teaching and she'd just come out of maternity. So she was covering three pediatric wards and she was just one person. And um, one of her patients ended up dying of renal failure, a little um, Down syndrome boy. And it wasn't even her fault. The mother, they, the, the mother wasn't informed that the child was not to be given any medication because the blood pressure was really, really low. So the blood pressure was really, really low, but the, the mum, I don't know, Allahu alam, I don't know, was she not educated or whatever, but she ended up taking, giving the child his normal medication without consulting the doctor or the nurses. And that resulted in the, uh, the child, that resulted in the death. And the Nigerian doctor was got blamed. the blame for it, even though she had like maybe 50 wow. or 60 patients under her care. And do you know, you know what? I reckon, and without exaggerating, almost every doctor in this country screamed for her defense. But they didn't think of a shit. They didn't care. She still struck off. Struck off means you're blacklisted. You cannot practice. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And is she, is there recourse for her? Like appeals? No. no, they don't. Very rarely can you appeal. And when you do appeal, it's still in, it's still on your record and your employabilities. So did they, did they strike her off to appease the media or like if, if. if do you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll send like, you the link about it, but wallahi, when you read it, it will make you realize how disgusting disgustingly unsupported we are look at the number of doctors that have died and people of color that have died during the covid in the nhs 90 percent of um healthcare workers that have died 90 percent of them have been non-white staff wow. and and i'm not saying this because oh you know like these are statistics. I'm not like making this up. Yeah, these are facts. You can oh, yeah. you can you can access it. And Do you they can just have a point, look. Is it because they shift around like um, shifts so that specific people have the most exposure to the front lines? Well, I find it really interesting that there was an article that was written on Nursing Times. Nursing Times is the nursing newspaper outlet, so there's no messing around or whatever. It's there. So um, nurses from immigrant backgrounds have come forward and, you know, because we have, we've got a shortage of healthcare workers. So we bring in nurses from India, from the Philippines, from Europe, from this, from that. But some of them came forward and they say, we believe that as nurses from immigrant backgrounds or whatever, that according to Rotors, we're being put on wards that have higher levels of COVID patients. So there was like a big like, oh my God, what's happening? But do you know what? They well, don't care until they're exposed. Yeah. And as soon as there started to be like a lot of like tweeting and sharing and this and that of this kind of information, and these statistics, all of a sudden, come Monday morning, I get called into the office and they were like, oh, Ola, because you're black and, you know, because of all of this or that, we can no longer put you on a COVID ward. And I'm like... They said this? My or manager. Oh, uh, did this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just and I was as like, a the pendulum swinging the total other way. Yeah, yeah, completely. Like only white people can die while the media sees what's happening. No, well, basically the media is showing that more black people are dying, so they have to be seen to be doing something about it. Wow. But what was hilarious, that he's 
having this conversation with me, even though it's not his fault, it's how the government, the people at the overcorrection. Yeah, that's how it works. They overcorrect. And it's too late. At that point, they knew that I was off work for three weeks. I got COVID and almost bloody died of it. And that was because of lack of PPE, lack of support, lack of protection, lack of everything. It was, it was rubbish. So I ended up getting COVID. I ended up getting really, really, really sick with it. Whoa, so you actually got COVID? Yeah, yeah, I got corona. Yeah, I tested positive for it. I got really sick with it. You are officially the first person I've ever met. Not in contact, but you're the only person I've ever talked to who's had COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, How was it? it. How was it? (laughs) Wallah al-Azim. And I'm not even exaggerating. It was one of the worst feelings ever so my husband flew to the u.s and then within two weeks i started to get symptomatic and it's weird that they say it because it's true in the first two days you feel like you've got flu but the third day it hits you hard and i called him on the third and fourth day and i was like rami you need to come back to the uk and he was like you'll be okay blah 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 and i was like no rami like i genuinely think that this is like the end for me. Like I literally think I might die. So you need to come back. And he did, he put the first ticket back and he had to come back to the UK because it just, you feel like you're, obviously it affects people in different ways. Some people are asymptomatic and they don't feel anything. And then some people feel really, really horrible. And then some people Die. die. It's the reality of it. But I felt like I couldn't move my body. It took like at least a month or so to completely go back to, well, not completely back to normal. My sense of smell hasn't returned properly. And my sense of taste, that's why like I suck like really um, sour things and um, like things with strong taste because my sense of taste has never gone back to normal. Really? It's just is never, it, yeah, it's never gone back to normal. Is it coming in slowly? So this is going to sound really weird, but since I have, since I had COVID, all food tasted the same and it tasted like this, like kind of stale chemical taste. So no matter what I ate, whether I, and I used to suck lemons, I used to um, like, like umdor, like chew ginger because it's really strong. Like I would do, I would put anything in my mouth that will so that I can get a sense of what that tastes like. So for the first three weeks, everything tasted of this, like, I don't know how to explain it, like a stale chemical, so it smelled like, disgusting. Oh. So it smelled bad and it tasted like that. So then after like a month or so, certain things that I would eat, the, the taste would slowly come back. So subhanAllah, stuff like milk, yogurt and cheese is dairy products. You could dairy taste. products taste it, yeah. So I could taste dairy products and um, breads, pastas, and rices. They start that that taste came back. Whoa! So it's so it's coming. It's clicking back. The body's like yeah, recovering yes, and resetting. Yes, kind of but for certain things, but things like um, certain vegetables, um, certain uh, sweets, certain chocolate, certain biscuits. Um, they, the, t- the taste hasn't come back for that. And in regards to smell, anything with alcohol, con- like anything alcohol, so perfumes, I can't, all perfumes still smell like that COVID smell. 
um, soaps, or so subhanallah, weird. every soap. And like, so my parents are helping me, like, like trialing it. It all smells the same. The only soap that I've used that I doesn't smell like every other soap or perfume that I use is um, Dior Sauvage. Oh. That smells like perfume, like a good smell. Yeah. Oud. And um, do you have Lynx in Canada? Lynx, L-Y-N-X? I, it's a type of soap? I'm not sure, no. I probably, it's a man just, soap. Yeah, it's a man soap? Yeah, it's a man soap. So oh. it's not for women. It's li- literally like a man brand. Oh, fuck. And I, I know it sounds it. really bad, but I, I, you could smell I, like, I use it. Are you? Yeah, and I use it because it's the only thing that I can put on my skin that doesn't smell like that COVID smell. It's probably so far from being actual soap. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, right? probably, to be honest. Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. But, but it's a really, but, really weird. I really hope, um, like, I know, like, you don't really think about it until it happens to you. But, wallahi, I really hope that it is reversible and I get, like, my smell and taste back. I uh, hope so, too. I, I hope the, the slow trickling of it, coming back continues until you're hundred percent. I really, Inshallah, Allah, I really hope so. Inshallah. Like, it's not a big deal. Like people are suffering from worse things. I know, I know, I know. Day. But yeah, but you want to taste, right? I mean, it's not, there's nothing greedy about being like, I want my taste back. You, right. Yeah. Like it's, you are, yeah. you deserve that. Yeah. And I hope, but in the meantime, are you getting to go up on stage? Is your oh, stage, stage. Going back on? Are you back up or uh, like doing outside gigs? So, yeah, there's some outdoor gigs. I did the, and this, like, did huge favors for me. Um, I did the first post-lockdown pilot comedy night, and it had, like, media coverage and this and that. Um, And that was amazing. It was so good to be back on stage. But, like, the advice I would give comedians who are, like, starting to break through um, are doing well, uh, who are getting regular gigs, take full advantage of social media. It's hard, especially if it's not your thing, but doing like sketches, recording like bits and bobs, blah, 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 blah. And putting them online is so essential. Doing podcasts, doing IG lives, like, um, Instagram series are really good. Um, it helps build your following, um, because obviously, say for example, you're interviewing me, the people that know you see follow me, see, see you, and if they like you, exactly. exactly. So it really builds you up cross a following. Pollinate. Yeah, you, you, yeah, 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 That's yeah, yeah. You just cross pollinate, and it all comes together. And like you're right, especially COVID has shown us that as comedians, you really do have to put some content out there. You can't. If you want to still be, if you want to still call yourself a comedian and, and not have that weird feeling like I did before I started dropping all that, it appeases me a little. I'm like, okay, I'm putting this out. At least I'm, I'm putting out this comedic energy into the world. As long as I'm doing it in one format, I'm satisfied for now, you know? But the stage yeah, yeah, of course. is the prime. There's no being the Of stage. course, of course, of course, of course. Like, I think that's the beginning for everyone. Like, I want to be a stand-up comedian obviously but i'm hoping through comedy like it will open other doors for me um like i'd love to get into acting i'd love to get into tv i'd love to get into like reality tv like these are the kind of thing and i think comedy is the best platform for it um 
but at the same time, like utilizing your social media and doing bits and bobs of all of that through your Instagram, through your whatever, um, it's, it's completely to your advantage. I think. You have to, you have to. And this time is kind of cornered you. And if you're being honest, it's like so much has changed in social media. You just got to contribute to it. And at the same time, also minimize it. Cause I hate being on those apps too long. I go in, yeah. I drop my content. I interact a little, you know what I mean? And then I'm out cause you can lose way too much time and just soul. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Long, yeah. Right? So in the past four days, I've went on there a lot less just to give myself time to focus on myself, time to do some writing, write, 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 literally like anything that happens, like I'll like, I'd experience one thing, like I'll go to a shop or whatever and something funny happens and I'll write it down and I'll try it out. So just use this time to like write material, experiment with new things. Um, like you say, you talk about race a lot, which is fine because at the end of the day, comedy, you're talking about your experiences. But I would always say like test your board, just talk about things that people wouldn't expect you to talk about. So for example, when I go on stage, people expect me to go on about my bloody hijab all the time or go on about being a Muslim all the time. But I try to not kind of play into that, play into that stereotype because it's a very boring game. So, you know, like I've seen, you know, when I started, I like looked up hijabi comedians and I feel like what they said was very much, the same yeah. kind of thing or like Asian um, comedians have very kind of, you know, the, the comedians that are good because they talk about stuff that is so personal. Like, okay, Dave Chappelle, I can't use him as an example because he's the OG. Do you know what I mean? Shout but out. To, yeah. Well, if Shout you out to Chappelle. Yes. Yeah. Hello there, sir. Hello. <laughs> hello. But, uh, hello. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. <laughs> oh my God. But you know, when he's talking, you can, you, 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 you almost feel like he's talking to you and trying to make you, you laugh. Yeah. Rather like than trying to please everyone. It's almost like a conversation rather than like a show. Yeah. 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 You like really hone in. It really, a story. He's the master storyteller. There's no beating. Yeah. He's a master. Oh God. Oh, my boy Chappelle. Go on, give him another virtual cuddle. Go on. Yeah, they can't see it, but now they can. Please take me on tour. Please let me open for you, Mr. Chappelle. I, I, I want to say this one thing, uh, and uh, we're coming out an hour, 20 minutes. This is like in the fucking green zone to land the podcast. But I just wanted to say you wanted to get into reality TV. You should make a show called Niswan Fim Durman. <laughs> Listen to me. So I'm a massive fan of the Housewives. Housewives of Atlanta. Housewives of Atlanta. I love it. That is actually a fantastic idea, but that means I can imagine it'll like... get really nasty with them. It yeah, yeah. Really like, you could, you could do it. You go. Uh, imagine in ten years, it's like a an empire. Niswan Mendurman. <laughs> let's 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 think. Let's get our heads together. Okay, uh, Ola. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on here. I actually weirdly feel like connected in like a disconnected way to the uh, UK Portsmouth London comedy scene now. 
If I'm ever in yeah, the area, I'm going to have to ask you to line up some guest spots for me if it's yeah, possible. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course, of course. If you're able to fly out. Um, yeah, no, it won't be. Then- again, just like this is not anytime soon. This is probably like a next year thing. I was really trying to come to Edinburgh. I applied a show and everything. So I wanted to do fringe. I know you say fuck fringe. I knew, I knew. No, 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 no. I'm not saying fuck fringe. I'm just yeah. saying I knew that it was going to be canceled. Like I knew it. How'd you know though? It was, I applied way before COVID hit. Because as soon as it came to about December time and like COVID started flittering around, I thought, ooh, mm. ooh. So I kind I'm of- so happy they sent me a nice rejection. And I was like, damn it, I wanted to go this year. Boom, COVID, take that, Fringe Festival. Please tell the people how to find you, where to find you. And I'm going to put everything in the description anyways, but take the opportunity. So you will find me on at Viola Labib. Um, I have some very exciting stuff coming up at the end of this month. So, yeah, tune in. Hell yeah. And if you're only listening to us right now, she put her glasses over her eyes in a perfect way that lined up with tune in, but you missed it. That's why you got to go on YouTube <laughs> and watch it. Plug in the YouTube. Yo, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. I actually hope, I really do hope all the senses come back and they're hundred percent normal in the coming months. Inshallah. I really hope so too. I, I just, I want to have like a chicken wrap and taste everything in the wrap. Wallahi. And I know it sounds like such a pathetic thing, but that's what I really, really want. Look at, my, look at my story from like 18 hours ago. It's me just waiting on a sh- chicken shawarma. So I know about that life literally like 18 you. hours ago. Oh, I, I hope you. it comes back. If you're listening to the immigrant section, press follow, subscribe on whatever you're on. That's all I ask. Tell your friends about it. And as always, thank you so much for coming on. Ola, I hope you have thank a you so night. much. Sorry it's an absolute pleasure. No, that's late. okay. You're forgiven yeah. for now. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Yalla. Okay. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network.